Now we come to Christ in Psalm 91, dwelling in God. If you have your outline, you can look along. I'll be reading through these verses here. Um, We're covering two Psalms tonight, Psalm 90 and Psalm 91. And we will see how God's people dwelt in God and how Christ dwelt in God. And also that we have God as our dwelling place. So Roman numeral one says, Old Testament believers having God as their dwelling place. And Psalm 90, which is referenced here, all the verses here are from Psalm 90, was written by Moses. So Moses says in verses one through four, O Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, and before you gave birth to the earth and the world, indeed, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, you sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by and like a watch in the night. So Moses says, amazingly, that God has been the dwelling place of his people in all generations. I still don't know what Moses, uh, his experience, his sentiment was regarding this, but, but, but he sees, he knew, he told God, this is a prayer of Moses, that, that God was their dwelling place in all generations. And the second verse, this phrase here, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Moses is, is speaking about God's eternal nature, his, his, his unchanging nature, his rock-solid uh, being that doesn't change. And it's that aspect of God that he is praising here in his prayer in which his people dwell. Amazing. God does not change. From eternity to eternity, he is God. And he, as God from eternity, he is the dwelling place of his people in all generations, all of them. And the second, these second two verses show how Moses saw our frailty and how short our lives are. We return to dust at the end of our life. And even a thousand years in God's sight is like yesterday when it passes by. So to God, he is eternal. To us, we're so transient and uh, frail and we come and we go. Generation to generation to generation. Each generation is a coming and a going of people. Um, So Moses continues here in verse 10. He says, The days of our years are 70 years, or if because of strength, 80 years. But their pride is labor and sorrow, for it is soon gone, and we fly away. We should have a a perspective of our lives, of the frailty, the shortness uh, of our lives that would cause us to realize the value of God's eternal nature and, and to dwell in this one, to dwell in God. Moses says, our life is soon gone and we fly away. And uh, I really like verse 12. Teach us then to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is about having a heart of wisdom. Um, How will we use the short life that we have on the earth 
We don't know how long we will live. Some live very long. Some die early. Uh, our life is short, is transient. But regardless of that, you know, the pride, is, the pride of our short life is labor and sorrow, Moses says here. But regardless of that, we can dwell in God. We can redeem the time we have. And we can make it something valuable in eternity by dwelling in the eternal God. Teach us then to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. When we have this perspective of our short, shortened life, compared to the eternal God, we can gain a heart of wisdom. And that heart of wisdom causes us to realize, let's spend our time to dwell in God in the short life that we have. Okay, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may give a ringing shout and rejoice all our days. So dwelling in God isn't just, I need, I need to be protected by the eternal one because my life is short. There's joy here. There's satisfaction here. There's loving kindness of God that is here in His in in Him as our dwelling place. Um, there's rejoicing even in sorrows. We can rejoice because joy is deep. It's not it's not shallow happiness. Even in suffering, we can have deeper joy. Uh, this is this is my experience. This is the experience of many. Um, God can be our dwelling place where there is joy. Uh, and then verses 16 and 17, let your work appear to your servants and your splendor to their children. And let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Indeed, the work of our hands establish it. These are the last two verses in Psalm 90 and uh, talks about God's work. Um, God's work is done by those who dwell in him. Um, and in verse 16, there's this phrase, your work, let your work appear to your servants. And then verse 17, he prays, establish the work of our hands. Indeed, the work of our hands, establish it. So our work should be the Lord's work, but we have to know what the Lord's work is before we can work. So this comes out of actually knowing God by dwelling in him. He, he reveals his work to us, his servants, and then he establishes our work, which is one with his work. This is the only way to work for God. Okay, that's Moses in Psalm 90. Let's go to Roman numeral 2, the second part of this outline. Christ having God as his dwelling place. And Psalm 91, which is the very next one, um, refers to Christ. We've seen Christ in so many places in the Psalms. Here again is a reference to, to talk about Christ and his experience of dwelling in God. I love these words here. We have verses 1, 2, and 9 from uh, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2, I say of Jehovah, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So these words capture the Lord's sentiment in the New Testament when he was on the earth and he dwelt in God. He took God as his dwelling place. It says he dwells in the secret place of the Most High and abides in the shadow of the Almighty. Um, the Lord dwelt in God as a secret place. We can too. But the Lord did this. This is how he lived as a man. He dwelt in God. And his, his sentiment was Jehovah was his refuge and his fortress. Uh, refuge, that's, 
That's wonderful. We all need a refuge. The Lord took God as his refuge from all the storm, the attacks, everything that he suffered. He was in God. He dwelt in God, and God was his refuge. Even his fortress, his impenetrable fortress, protected in God. Even though he suffered, he suffered so much, but he did not despair. He did not uh, throw in the towel, <laughs> call it quits, because he, he was protected in God through his sufferings, in his sufferings. Um, and verse 9, I love this, this word here. This is the psalmist who wrote Psalm 91 saying this. He says, For you, referring to Christ, have made Jehovah, that's God, who is my refuge, referring to the psalmist, even the most high, your habitation. Again, referring to Christ. Uh, For you have made Jehovah, who is my refuge, even the most high, your habitation. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. And then we have one verse here from John 14, verse 10. In the New Testament, where the Lord asks, Do you not believe that I am in the Father? Um, It's really easy to just read this and move on, but, you know, when the Lord was walking the earth 2,000 years ago, as a man, he was in the Father. Of course, you couldn't see that, because he was a man walking around just like we walk around on the earth today. Nothing outwardly uh, do you see. But, But the reality is, Jesus was in the Father. He dwelt in God. God was his home. God was his habitation, his refuge, his fortress. And um, that's what the Lord did. He's our pattern. He is our, um, he cut the way for us. Um, and, and we follow in his footsteps to do the same thing. So that brings us to Roman numeral three. Oh, one more thing. In John 5, there's a section of verses in John 5. You should uh, write this down and go read this later. It's verses 17 to 30 in John 5, and especially verse 19 captures it in words. The Son only did what he saw the Father doing. He, of course, we only saw, or the disciples only saw, and the people then only saw what the Lord did, what the Lord did. But he only did what he saw the Father doing. How did, how did he do that? He was in the Father. He dwelt in God, and so God lived through him. Okay, verse, uh, not verse, but Roman numeral three. This is the last part of the outline. We have God as our dwelling place. Now we're applying it to ourselves. This is important to see Christ, to see the Old Testament believers, to see this eternity to eternity dwelling place, of who, which is God himself, who is God himself, for us to dwell in. Okay, so the Lord says in John fifteen four, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. There's the Lord's word to us, his charge to us. Abide in me. This word abide in Greek is meno. It means to dwell, to abide, uh, to remain. Um, And this is the Lord's charge to us. So just as Jesus dwelt in the Father, he remained in the Father, he abode in the Father, He's, he has spoken to us, abide in him. Okay, verse uh, chapter 14, verse 20. In that day, that's the day of resurrection, 
you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Here it is, plain, plain words. The Lord says, I'm in my Father, and you're in me. So it's the same, we are dwelling in God just as Christ dwelt in God. And um, uh, this next verse is huge. How, how is this possible that we dwell in God? Okay, so 1 Corinthians one thirty, the first part of the verse. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. Him refers to God. But of God you are in Christ Jesus. Repeat that because it's a striking phrase. This means we are in Christ because of God. God put us in Christ. How does God uh, deliver to us his wonderful salvation? How does God apply to us everything that he has done, uh, everything that Christ accomplished? How, how does that become ours? How do we experience that? It's by what God did. He put us into Christ. It says here, we are in Christ Jesus. That is an accomplished fact. God did it, and it's true. All those who have believed have been put into Christ by God. So that's a fact that's accomplished. And now we are here talking about experiencing this fact, experiencing it, dwelling there, remaining there, staying there in God so that we can experience the wonderful fact that Christ has accomplished for us. First um, John 2.24 is the next verse here. I like this one. Um, let's read it. If that which you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So it can be confusing, you know, uh, we actually can't wrap our minds around the triune God and how it is that he is one, yet three, three, yet one. But, um, and and I can understand how it's confusing. Am I in God? Well, who am I in? It says I'm in Christ. Christ says abide in me. And, uh, but here, 1 John 2, 24 tells us, that you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is done through the Spirit. So really, it's the triune God. We abide in God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all involved. We don't have to worry about who am I in. We're in God. God is our dwelling place from eternity to eternity. Hallelujah. Yeah. So uh, let's move on. We have two more verses on this sheet. Uh, two wonderful verses. We're, we're climaxing here at the end. First John 2.27 and as for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone teach you. But as his anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and even as it has taught you, abide in him. I love this verse. It says, we have received the anointing. That is the Holy Spirit moving within us, the anointing. It's like this active motion movement. It's not just that we've been given something static. The Spirit, we have the Spirit. but And the Spirit's there, just there. Uh, no, we've received the Spirit who is in us, and, and it, He is moving in us. It says here that He is teaching us, His anointing teaches us concerning all things. That means all of our situations we enter into, our circumstances, things that happen, the, the events over the course of the day, all things, the Spirit is in us moving to teach us, to teach us. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it says here, you have no need that anyone teach you, but his anointing teaches you. So the, what the anointing teaches us is not doctrine. Uh, it's not uh, knowledge. Um, it is 
in this situation, abide in him. Stay in God. That's what it says at the end of this verse. Even as it has taught you, abide in him. So in every situation, the spirit is in us, moving in us, uh, anointing us, teaching us, stay in God. In this situation with uh, this difficult situation in this relationship, don't walk, don't leave God behind. Don't walk away from God. Don't neglect God. Stay in God. Dwell there. Remain here. Stay here. This is your refuge. This is your, your fortress. This is your habitation. This is where you belong. This is your eternal home. Stay here. Oh, I love that verse. Okay, and then the last one. 1 John 5.20 This one has got to be my one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Wow, talk about uh, putting something like receiving eternal life and knowing God into an experiential context. This is, the Son of God has come to give us an understanding. We might know him. Uh, our, you know, Paul said in Philippians that he had a desire. He, he was just charging forward to know him. That was like his innermost, deepest desire to know Christ, to know him. And of course, Paul, of anybody, we would consider he knew Christ. Yet he was still desiring, this is at the end of his life, towards the very end of his life, still desiring to know Christ. Um, and how do we know Christ? We know because we are in him who is true. This is the true God and eternal life. Our dwelling in God causes us to know him. More and more, in all situations, in so many and different environments, various things, the good times the, and the bad times. We think most of the time the bad times, at least I do. Think about, I need the Lord in these bad times. But in the good times too. We can know God in, in, in so many new ways, in so many various environments, by dwelling in him, by staying in him. And that makes our life of, of our short, fleeting, otherwise vain meaningless life, full of meaning that has impact on eternity, has eternal value. We were dust, right? Moses said, um, Psalm 93, you return man to dust and say, return you sons of men. Our life on this earth is like, it's just animated dust until we go back to the dust. Without God, that's all it is. It ends up being meaningless. But God... (laughs) is our, our realm, our reality, our dwelling, our eternal dwelling. And by remaining in him, we can know him. So, you know, what came first, God or the universe? Obviously God. He made the universe. So what, the things that we see around us were made by the one who is eternal. God is more real than what we see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and walk through on our, in our experiences on this earth. God is more real. In fact, God is reality itself. And and the question is, is he real to you? And furthermore, we can we can ask, 
When is he real to you? Where is he real to you? How often is God real to you? It's easy right now for me. I mean, I may speak from for myself here. Easy right now for me having to, you know, stand up here and say something about God and his dwelling, dwelling in God and what Moses said and all these things. Easy for me now. God is so real. I, I have prayed. I have considered. I have looked in, these, looked in the word. I have uh, dwelt in God to prepare to say something. It's easy for me right now. God is so real to me. That's wonderful. I love this. I love serving him. I love handling his word and his things. But what about other times, other days, uh, on the mundane things? Okay, how about um, one time I had a, I was driving on the highway, and uh, all of a sudden my tire sounded really funny, and it was bumpy, and it was flat. I pulled over, and uh, it was raining, and I... Uh, happened to be right by an underpass. I think I'd just gotten off an exit from the highway and there was an underpass. And I pulled under this underpass for shelter for the rain, which I was very thankful to the Lord for that. And I just remember sitting there with a flat tire and being like, is that, is my flat tire, uh, is this my situation just so much in my consciousness that God is not there? And I remember thinking, Oh, I forgot about you, God. Uh, oh, Lord. And then I remembered, oh, thank you for this underpass that I could have shelter from the rain. And thank you for being with me, even though I'm in this situation. You know, God is more real than a flat tire. But in our experience, when we go through things like this, is God real? Or is our consciousness just filled with our situation and no, and no God, no experience of God? Um, God is always there, but we should st- we should dwell in Him. We should stay in Him, remain in Him. Um, y'all are students. You you have a lot to study. You have class to go to. You have tests to take. Some of these tests are really they're really uh, a lot of pressure. Well, what about taking a test? Is God there with you? Yes, but is He real to you? Well, He can be, and He wants to be. Just stay in Him. Invite him in. Lord, I'm going to go take this test. Come with me, take it. Oh, that makes such a big difference. You know, he won't, you won't just get 100 on your test because of that. No, we're not talking about getting outward material blessings and things like this. But um, but something of eternity, of eternal value is is gained in this short lifespan and time that we have of otherwise vanity. It's so valuable and precious that God can be our dwelling place in everything. Now, not just in the difficult things, there's good things, you know, spring break, vacation, times of ease and rest. We should, we should dwell in God. We shouldn't leave him behind. I'm going to go have a good time, God. See you later. See you next Sunday or whenever it is that, you know, you get together with the, with the believers. Um, bring him with you. Dwell in him. Experience him. Make that vacation meaningful in eternity. Um, this is how we live. This is how we live the Christian life. And this is how we know God. Those who dwell in the world have no consciousness of God. We, even believers, may be dwelling in the world, dwelling there instead of dwelling in God. 
no consciousness of God, even though we could talk about God or God could be mentioned or even kind of exalted in an outward way. Uh, but inwardly, we need to dwell in him. Dwell in God, not dwell in the world. There's a contrast there. And the world and the things in it are passing away. God is eternal and his people are eternal in him. Oh, in him is the key word. Dwell in God. Um, then we have experiences that will that will carry that will transfer into eternity, and our life will be so meaningful. And I want to leave leave you all with uh, one verse here uh, that's not on the outline. This is Revelation three twelve. This is a promise by the Lord Jesus speaking to the church in Philadelphia to the overcomers. This is a promise to those who overcome. He says here, He who overcomes him, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall by no means go out anymore. To me, that is a very attractive and wonderful promise. To never go out anymore? Wow. The more I experience dwelling in God, because I'm just like you all. I go out. Um, But the more I experience God as my dwelling place, my habitation, the more desire I have to just stay here and to never go out anymore. Yet I keep going out. But the more desire I have. So this promise to me is precious. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall by no means go out anymore. Wow. That's, that's like the ultimate uh, destination of, of, of our <laughs> walk with the Lord is to walk in God, with God, and never leave, and be with God and be in Him forever, for eternity. Amen. We'll stop here. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your time tonight. Amen.